Hi, I'm Karin Zissis of ASCOA Online. Before we begin, a note of warning. This podcast episode discusses violence against women, and it may not be suitable for all listeners. You're listening to Latin America in Focus. Latino America in Foco. America Latina in Foco. A podcast by America Society, Council of the Americas on politics, economics, and culture in the region. Abril Perez Sagon was 48. A hitman shot her in front of her two teenage children. The murder took place within weeks of her abusive ex-husband's release from prison. Ingrid Escamilla was 25. Her boyfriend stabbed and mutilated her body. And then authorities leaked photos of her corpse to tabloids. Fatima Cecilia Adriguet was seven. She was kidnapped shortly after school one day, and four days later, her body was found in a garbage bag. I'd have to say seven more names and tell seven more stories to get to a total of ten. That's how many women are murdered on average each day in Mexico, in a country where nearly 99% of crimes go unpunished. Violence against women and the impunity that comes with it are sparking outrage. On March 8th, International Women's Day, women will take to the streets across the country. On March 9th, many will leave work and school to show what a day without women looks like. The movement is mobilizing to demand action. The question is, how do we get results? After all, in recent years, Mexico has poured resources into battling discrimination and violence against women. And yet, the femicide rate rose 138% from 2015 to 2019. To get some answers, I spoke with Ana Pekova the director of Equis Justice for Women in her Mexico City offices. Equis is a feminist organization that, since 2011, has sought to transform institutions, laws, and public policy to improve access to justice for all women. She explained how violence against women has become more complex since 2007 and why policies implemented thus far so often fall short. We also talked about how work and home life can play a role in combating this type of violence, as well as what unites the current women's movements taking place across the Americas. Thank you for being with us. Anna, sadly, the issue of violence against women in Mexico isn't something new, um, and you yourself have written about it in the past. So why is there this outrage about femicide in Mexico right now? 
violence against women uh, has not only grown here in Mexico, but it has become more complex. Uh, there, there are some very specific, very specific differences in the violence, the type of violence that women face and men face. Uh, so say over the last 50 years, if you look at the numbers, if you look at available data, uh, women are much more likely uh, to get killed in their house, in, at home, um, in the hands of somebody they know, probably their former partner, former husband or another family member. Uh, they're much more likely to get killed by uh, asphyxiation or strangulation or, or, or uh, be beaten up or uh, knives. While men, uh, they've always suffered much more violence that happens out there on the street, in the public sphere, uh, by firearms. Uh, mind me, starting from 2007, uh, everything begins to change here in Mexico and violence, violence that women face particularly, begins to uh, become much more complex. Uh, so much more complex that today, uh, the killings of women in the public sphere have surpassed by, by much uh, the killings of women uh, within the domestic sphere, within the households. Also, uh, the municipalities where most men are killed are the same municipalities where uh, most women are, are killed. Firearms, firearms have become uh, the, the principal reason uh, of that for men and women. So the differences, the traditional gender differences we're seeing, they're starting to uh, get erased. Uh, and we are now facing a much more complex problem which is we trace it back to uh, the beginning of the war on drugs in 2007, and more specifically, the militarization as a strategy to maintain public, to keep public security. And that simply increased the, the levels of violence overall in the country, and, and, and women, we haven't been immune to what's going on. Uh, so why the outrage? The outrage is that no matter what policies we launched here in Mexico, no matter what measures have been taken, we haven't been able to reduce the traditional violence, the, vi the violence that we've faced over the last 50 years. And, and, and not only that, now we have a whole other phenomenon of violence that takes place in the public sphere, and we have absolutely no policy to deal with that in place. We don't even recognize that as, as, as a factor of risk for women. Uh, so we are now at a stage where we've had case after case uh, over the last several weeks uh, and people are simply outraged at uh, not only, I mean, the cases of violence that are happening, but also the lack of very basic lack of access to justice, you know, where uh, institutions fail women at every possible moment. Uh, each one of the cases that happened over the last week, there was the murder of uh, a young girl, seven-year-old girl, who was brutally murdered and whose body was thrown in, uh, outside on the street. Uh, then there was the case of Ingrid, uh, who was not only brutally murdered by her partner, but, but she was, uh, her peel was, her, 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 her skin was peeled off and all of her organs were thrown down. Uh, uh, the drainage, and then there was the case of Abril a couple of weeks before that, uh, who was murdered in probably in the hands of her former husband. Each one of those cases could have been prevented, and I think that's what sparked uh, the outrage of people. Each one of those cases, if institutions had acted, could have been prevented, and it was absolutely necessary, uh, unnecessary for these women to lose their uh, their lives. So I think we're just feeling as a society an urgent need 
to do something to start implementing policies that work and, and take some concrete measures to uh, begin reducing the violence women leave in Mexico. Thank you. In, in keeping with that, one thing we know is there has been an increase in the number of women who, who get killed in Mexico. So we're talking about an average of 10 women per day getting murdered. Um, and when we talk about this issue, when I talk about this issue a lot of times here, one thing people often say is, well, the murder rate has gone up overall. And they point out that there are far more men killed than women. So why highlight the murders of women in particular? Okay, so, so in Mexico, we're in a situation where we have extremely high levels of violence for both men and women. Mind me, even when we talk about violence that men face, uh, I think it's, not, it, it's directly related to gender issues. Why do I say that? Uh, because men represent uh, n almost 90% of the victims of, of murders. Uh, men represent more than 90% of the population in prison. Men represent 90% of those who commit crimes and most crimes. Uh, and in some crimes, they practically are 100% of those who uh, committed, say, uh, sexual violence, for example. Uh, and and all, that, all of that obliges us uh, to look at the factor of gender when we analyze violence that even men live. You know, um, it obliges us to look at masculinity, how the idea, the concept of masculinity is shaped. Uh, however, when we look at, you know, the differences, um, how men and women uh, get killed, uh, I think it is very important to stress uh, some of the differences. Um, and, and that is that uh, women are much more at risk at home. Uh, they are much more likely to uh, leave uh, violence in the hands of their partner. Uh, even those that are spaces that are traditionally considered safe spaces, uh, they're not safe for women. Uh, and uh, I refer to the home. Uh, to the home there. So I think if you do not recognize these important differences, you'll just be looking at, uh, you know, lots of murders, uh, but they're so different that they require different approaches to be addressed. Uh, not all murders are the same. Not all murders uh, occur in the same place. Not all murders follow the same pattern. And if you don't uh, do a much more profound analysis where gender is a key factor in the analysis you make, uh, you're just not going to find the right solution. So um, you wrote an article in Nexos, Derechos de Papel, or Paper Rights, and you won a National Journalism Prize for it in 2017. So you've been writing about this topic uh, for a while. Um, that article looked at public policy around gender and violence against women, and particularly the complexity of effectively implementing measures around this. Um, so I'm wondering, have you seen anything change since you wrote that article, whether for better or for worse? So the question for us was, uh, th there's lots of resources being invested in uh, incorporating what we call gender perspective into uh, the work of justice institutions. Everything uh, to guarantee access to justice for women, and this is something that um, Mexico has an obligation to do. Uh, we've had some em very important emblematic cases like uh, Campo Algodonero, which is cotton field uh, uh, case, the case of femicides of, of a group of women which were killed in Ciudad Juarez. Uh, in addition to that, the Mexican state uh, ha is one of the first countries to assign to CIDO uh, the Convention Against uh, 
uh, discrimination against women, on elimination discrimination against women. Then we've got, uh, you know, the constitution that guarantees equal rights for everyone, equal access to justice for everyone. We've got very good uh, legislation, you know, so everything on paper looks great. Following up on these obligations, you know, the Mexican state has uh, invested huge resources on promoting this gender perspective and making sure uh, that everyone who works for the state, uh, you know, is familiar with it, that we have public policies, that there are institutions that could provide the responses to women, particularly women who have been uh, victims of violence. Um, we've have uh, we've created specific institutions, you know, like uh, specific uh, prosecutors' offices uh, only that deal only with cases of sexual violence um, or that deal only with femicide. We've created a national institute of women, and still the question for us here at Techies was why nothing changes, you know, despite this huge investment, despite all these new institutions, you know, and, and, and a vibrant feminist movement, we just don't get where we want to get. So say one of the policies uh, that was implemented were uh, the, the, the uh, women justice centers. Women justice centers is actually a, a policy which is being uh, brought here from the United States, is based on the model of a family justice center, which initiated, I believe, in San Diego, it's a one-stop shop, 24-7 uh, center, which houses all the services that a woman that has lived uh, domestic violence may need. So you can go there, you can place a demand. There is a doctor if you need medical care. Um, there is a social worker, there is a psychologist. Um, there is even a judge who can quickly separate you from a violent partner. And it sounds great, you know, on, on, on paper. But when we started looking at it, um, we found out that it's got no stability. Um, they're only based in uh, uh, urban areas. They have no uh, staff of their own. They just uh, borrow people from other institutions. The judge only works from nine to five because the judge actually belongs to the judiciary. Uh, we know that most cases of domestic violence, they happen in the night, say from midnight to early, early in, in dawn, no? And there is no one who's gonna attend you at that hour there. So. There's so many problems, you know, behind that policy. And we often say, well, the women justice centers, uh, uh, they're just, you know, sand castles. There is nothing behind, you know, once you blow, everything disappears. Then the other, the other policy that we've been following up here in Mexico is the specialized prosecutor's office for uh, sexual violence. The same. I mean, there is nothing behind. They're just far away. You know, only because I'm a woman and, and because I face sexual violence, I need to go all through the city, the other end of the city, travel two hours so that I receive some basic, basic services. But even that's not the main problem. The main problem is once you get there, once you transit the whole city, which is Mexico City is a huge city, once you get there, there's nobody that's going to receive you. I mean, it's, it's unfair to say that, that everyone doesn't want to provide service to women. You know, there are good people, there's good public... Uh, officials, you know, who want to do something, they just simply don't have the tools to do their work. We've had cases in, in Puebla, there was this case of feminicide, uh, where the police asked the family, they said, you know, we want to do uh, the necessary investigation, we want to do the autopsy, we really, we don't even have a plastic to, to cover the body, they send them to Home Depot, uh, the family to bring some plastic to wrap the body and they can so they can preserve it. I mean, it's ridiculous the, the deficiencies, the institutional deficiencies we have. One of the favorite strategies uh, here in Mexico uh, uh, has been 
capacity building, training workshops for uh, public officials. So they learn uh, what is this gender perspective that we're talking about. And what we found is that, yes, indeed, there's huge resources. Uh, over 680 million pesos have been used by the 32 states, the judiciary in the 32 states, to train judges in what gender perspective is. But then when you begin you know, analyzing a little bit more profoundly, you, 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 find, you find out that it's all a simulation. We've been, we, we've been training ourselves for over 10 years now, and, and, and actually USAID, uh, they did the research and they found that each police officer and, and, and judge in Mexico receives at least, in average, at least two training workshops a year on gender and human rights. So we must be the, the, the most trained nation in the world, but the results are nowhere to be seen. Uh, and that is simply because people are, are, are now even bored, you know, we haven't been able to translate it into something practical, to tell them what it means for their work. Uh, they, they stopped coming to the training workshops, you know, what we saw is that judges were the last ones to come to the trainings, they send their assistants, and the most important thing is we have no tools to measure, to follow up how this is being done, and I think uh, that's where we fail largely. So say a very specific problem in the judiciary is there is no access in Mexico, there is no public access to uh, the judicial rulings. They're not a public document. So where I want to see the change is exactly in the judicial ruling. I want to see a ruling that recognizes the context of vulnerability uh, of a woman that has lived violence, you know, to take that into consideration. Uh, but we cannot see them. Uh, and we continue to see the little that uh, gets filtrated and that, that comes to the media that we can discuss uh, shows a very strong persistence of stereotypes in, in how they work. Uh, we had the case of the Porquis. Uh, I don't know if you are familiar with the case in Veracruz. A young girl who was sexually abused by four young men where the judge literally, he argued that uh, nothing happened and he basically released from responsibility uh, one of the young boys who actually abused her. I mean, he penetrated her uh, with his hand, but uh, he couldn't prove that he did it to obtain sexual pleasure. So uh, it's not sexual abuse. And, and it turns out it was a judge who was actually trained and who participated in lots of these uh, workshops uh, on, on gender and human rights. So uh, to sum up, nothing's changed. Uh, but I think what we're seeing is that we need to improve uh, accountability, we need to set up mechanisms for accountability by public institutions on the efforts they incorporate, uh, they, they take to incorporate the gender perspective, but we also need to uh, step up and, and, and demand more from uh, institutions to follow up closely everything they do, uh, not to satisfy ourselves with only, oh, they opened a new fiscalia, they opened a new institution, oh, they organized a course, you know, next, they declare the gender alert. No, we need to stay there, we need to follow up, we need to look at every single step, every single effort they do uh, in order to figure out if it's only a simulation or it's work properly being done uh, and with specific results. So... You're talking about a ton of resources, a ton of time, a ton going into trying to improve it. There's There are a lot of good intentions here, really. Um, but we're, we're still in the middle of a crisis right now. So if you were going to recommend one measure, one first step that could be taken to try to um, get us on the right path, what would one step be? 
I, I think it's very, very difficult uh, to think, I, I think it's impossible to say that one single measure is going to fix the problem we're facing today. I think we're facing a very complex, very serious problem, a true crisis, I'd say. Uh, however, uh, I can suggest perhaps uh, where we could begin. I think we first need good, serious, reliable data to, to understand the size of the problem, uh, to understand the, the, the nature of the problem, so that we can begin designing solutions from there. Unfortunately, in Mexico, we don't even have that. So say, for example, there's a huge uh, number of murders of women where we don't even register whether they were preceded by domestic violence. And I think that's key in understanding the violence that women face. We don't know how many of the murders of women are femicide. We have uh, a number today, say, from a little bit more than 3,000 murders uh, that took of women that took place in 2019, a little bit more than 1,000, so say around one-third, are classified as femicide. People who follow up uh, murders of women, uh, who follow up uh, uh, notes published by media, you know, reports and everything, uh, they, they, they swear that, that much more, there's a much higher number of femicide. But also we have police that doesn't do the investigation well, so many cases that could be investigated as femicide, they're being investigated as just a simple homicide without taking into consideration the specificities of uh, what we call gender-based violence or, or what could be classified as femicide, uh, which is a murder of uh, a woman uh, which has which fulfills certain characteristics, like say um, there was uh, also sexual violence or there was some sort of relation between uh, the victim and uh, uh, the killer, uh, say uh, there was a family relation or they were married or they were in some sort of relationship or if the body has been mutilated, especially the sexual organs, or if the body has been disposed in a public place, like brutally. Uh, so those are all characteristics that need to be taken into consideration when investigating a murder to decide whether it's femicide uh, or, or not. One thing is, um, we've seen a real mobilization around this issue in recent months. And um, since then, it's been something that's really angered people. We saw at that time when there were protests um, that people, the women here in Mexico, in Mexico City, began to protest using the Las Tesis. This, uh, this chant um, that began in Chile around women's rights. Um, and we started to see it being used internationally, but really particularly across Latin America, probably because it's Spanish. But one thing I find um, interesting is that this is something that, that we've seen connecting different countries in Latin America. I wanted to get your view. How do you, how do you see the movement here in the context of Latin America and in, in the context of, of movements uh, internationally? In what ways is it, I know I'm giving you a big question here, but in what ways is it like the Me Too movement and what ways are movements in Latin America different? Um, but, but how do you see what's happening in Mexico compared in particular to other countries in Latin America? Hmm. That's a very good question, actually. Um, I think we have, we have much in common, the countries in the region. 
discrimination against women is, is a problem uh, and specifically violence against women is, is a problem that we all face, all the countries in the region and probably all the countries in the world. You know, We have countries in the world that, that have better policies or that are better at implementing policies you know, uh, than, than the Latin American region, but the discrimination against women, it, it's so profound that, that it persists in, in, in all of the places and uh, in the world. Um, I think uh, what we've been seeing in the region uh, is uh, lots of movements. Um, I think Me Too uh, is something that um, it began in the United States. It was launched there, but all of the movements, all of the local, uh, I mean, national movements, they they, they, they made it theirs, you know. Uh, also here in Mexico, we had our own version of Me Too uh, and even a very, very rich version of, of Me Too. You know, we had Me Too in the academia and Me Too among journalists and Me Too in the civil society sector too. I think that was a very important conversation to recognize that, that even people who have traditionally dedicated, you know, uh, 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 to work in the movement, in the human rights world, we're not immune to this problem. It is an issue and we need to begin talking about about that uh, I think violence against women is, is a huge problem for for countries like Mexico uh, but also for countries throughout the region you know you have Chile you have Argentina you have all the countries of, of Central America you know with very very high levels of violence overall uh, so uh, we have had movements like more local more Latin movements like a new namas new new namenos no uh, which are not even one less, we don't want to be missing not even one more uh, woman. Uh, then we had this uh, thing from Las Tesis, which was taken all over. Uh, uh, so, so I think, I mean, beyond what happens on national level, I think the similarities we have, uh, in the context in which we live, uh, uh, there is abortion too that, that is prohibited in most of our countries in the region. We have so much in common that has allowed us to uh, create alliances, to articulate ourselves on more regional level, uh, to seek joint platforms, you know, to, uh, to make connections that uh, perhaps previously uh, were not that present or were not that, uh, that uh, visible. And I think it's great and I think we need to take advantage of, uh, of the moment to raise, to raise the voice on national, on local level, but also on regional level, and, and, even, and even wider, because as I was saying, the, the discrimination against women, and specifically violence that women leave, gender-based violence, I think it is an issue that no country in the, uh, in the world has, um, has resolved it. I think these demonstrations, these mobilizations that we've been seeing, uh, they talk about uh, a force, um, a very fresh force, which I find it very inspiring. It's all, you know, young women, new generations, which just, they won't take what, what you know, uh, we, we tolerated, you know, my generation tolerated. And I think it's, I, I think it's fabulous. And I think the, the, the change, change is very, very, very close. I don't think we're going to solve this. I think it's a long-term work, but I think something's going to change very soon. I feel very inspired too, so I'm hearing you talk about it. But um, and and we are going to be having a, a, a very big protest coming up. We'll be seeing in March that we'll be having uh, many protests here in Mexico um, around this issue. Um, you know, one thing that uh, that I've heard people suggest, and we've even seen this implemented in some cases, is that there should be stiffer penalties 
to punish violence against women, you know, increase the number of, of years a person would go uh, away for in prison because of committing a femicide, for example. Does that work? We have very harsh laws here in Mexico. Uh, femicide in particular is very uh, severely punished in the law. But then again, Mexico, as I was saying in my article, Mexico is a country where rights are only on paper. Uh, so we don't have, we can continue to increase penalties, uh, but I think that's the easiest thing to do. Uh, and I think it's just, just band-aid, it's just patches, uh, it doesn't solve the problem. There is no guarantee, uh, and, and we have no evidence that increasing penalties uh, is gonna fix uh, the problem with violence that women face. Uh, what I think we need to do, uh, I think we need to strengthen the capacities of justice institutions so they can do the work they're supposed to do. Uh, we need better data so we can propose even better solutions. Uh, and I'm even, you know, I wanna, I wanna begin thinking about what, what data suggests, you know, there could be some other policies which we don't even have on the radar and, 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 and they could help us to reduce uh, violence against women. For example, Households, what data, what available data suggests is that households where uh, the chores are, are divided, are, are, are where, where men and women, they equally participate in domestic chores, the, the violence, uh, domestic violence reduces significantly. Then households where women work, where they're economically um, autonomous, independent, uh, the, the possibility that that woman leaves physical violence at least reduces significantly. What can we do? There is much that can be done within households. There is no public policies that go there, but what can we do? How can we stimulate men to become more engaged in, in care labor, uh, in, in, in domestic chores? How do we create conditions for more women to engage in the labor? And when I say that, it's not just, you know, uh, put more women outside in, in, in companies, you know, and, and have more women in uh, decision-making uh, um, places. I think that obliges us to have a more profound discussion about uh, work culture, about uh, work climate, you know, how, how work centers are organized currently. Because here in Mexico, at least, we have huge problem, you know, uh, we have no work at working hours, you know, you stay at work until 11 at night, uh, we don't have... Uh, uh, full-time schools, we don't have daycare centers, there recently have been cuts by the current government exactly on this on this issue, so we're, instead of getting closer to, to what these data suggest, we're moving further away from, from the possible solutions. Uh, so we need to, we need to take this conversation within the work centers, you know, how to increase the participation of women in the labor force, but also how to change uh, internal organizational culture so that both men and women can leave at 5 p.m., can go pick up their children, can enjoy some family time. I think the changes that we are proposing from the women's rights movement are finally changes that uh, would bring a better world for uh, for everyone. So I'm, I'm really seduced by this data and I want to uh, I, I really would love to, to begin a conversation, you know, what other policies we could think about, what other measures we could, we could implement to begin reducing the numbers uh, of, of women that are killed, women that are victims of violence, and not just focus on um, the justice institutions. I think the justice institutions, they need to be strong, they need to work well, 
uh, but that's that's only a reactive response you know that's only a, a response to women once they have become victims of violence we need to uh, begin thinking uh, before that i think really it is a discussion for the whole the whole of the society uh, so that we can begin moving towards the change we want to see Yeah, it's fascinating because you can even just start with the point that um, Mexico has a lower rate of women in the labor force than a majority of Latin America, for example. And what does that and and it it goes to what you're saying, and that's not even getting into some of the more specific policies around working hours, productivity, and everything. You have an international background, um, so I'm sure you've seen uh, examples of policies around some of these areas in different countries. Is there something looking somewhere in the world, maybe outside of the Americas even, um, that you look at and you say, this is something that demonstrably uh, can contribute to uh, bettering the situation uh, for women for women and men, um, and because all these things are connected, therefore uh, help to mitigate violence against women? I think it's very important what you're saying. You know, only 42% of women who are in their... Uh, a productive age who could work only have formal employment in Mexico. And out of that, those 42% of women, actually uh, over 70%, they work uh, on in positions where they earn less than two minimum salaries, which is nothing. Most women, uh, there's a huge amount of, of women who work as domestic workers, for example, you know, which is a particularly vulnerable sector where Uh, we have a huge fight going on to recognize their rights. You know, over 90% of the labor force that works in, in households is women. Uh, so I think I mean, there, there are lots of policies uh, around the world and, and each one can be, can be improved. So I, I don't want to specify one particularly, you know. But I think uh, countries that have uh, good care policies, you know, Um, that, that, that have good paternity, maternity policies, you know, that, that uh, sort of have these nudge policies to uh, oblige families to share, you know, the care of children. Um, I think those are all good policies and we are so far away from that here in Mexico, you know. We have very interesting examples from, from Europe, from many countries in Europe, especially the Scandinavia on, on that, you know, how we can promote the well-being of everyone, of the whole family. But I'm very worried uh, uh, that here in Mexico we are not, I mean, again, we are only focusing on uh, reactive policies. We only have, oh, uh, it's a problem. Sexual harassment is a problem for women in the workplace. Let's design a protocol. Done. And we've entered institutions and you see that 100% of, of the people that work in, in judiciary in, in certain states, they've been hired not because there was a job opening which was publicly advertised, but because they know somebody. You ask yourself how in those conditions you can possibly fight sexual harassment. I mean, if that person entered there because uh, he knows somebody there, he's always going to have somebody who's going to watch his back. and and. And if we tackle this, then we're going to be able to also tackle corruption, which is also a problem in our institutions, you know, so they're all interrelated issues, you know. Anna, thank you very much. That That's a very interesting overview of how all of these different issues are connected from, um, from violence to the workplace. Um, so thank you very much for taking the time to speak with me today. And I do want to just note, I'll be putting a link uh, for, for listeners. I'll put a link to Derechos uh, de Papel in the uh, podcast notes so that you can read her article. Uh, and thank you so much, Anna, for being with me today. Thank you. Thank you. I really enjoyed speaking to you. 
yo muera No llores sobre mi tumba Cántame un lindo zona y mamá Cántame la sandunga Thank you for listening. I'm Karen Zissas. This podcast was produced by Luisa Lemmy. The music in this podcast was recorded at America Society in New York City. For upcoming concerts, visit musicoftheamericas.org. We appreciate you being with us for this episode. You can subscribe and review Latin American Focus at iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yo siempre vivo yo.